Welcome back, everyone, to this, the 22nd now in our series of podcasts brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental well-being service. My name's Tracy Parr, and I'm the Director of Transformation for Good Thinking, which provides round-the-clock mental well-being support for Londoners. Our podcasts are here to help listeners make sense of a world now emerging from COVID-19. They're available across all podcast channels. We would really appreciate, however, if you would share, rate and review our podcasts so more people can enjoy them. In these podcasts, our clinical director, Dr. Richard Graham, is in conversation with people who have a particular view on getting through lockdown and COVID-19. Today, he's speaking with Paula Ludley, co-founder of The Nine Day Week. The Beatles sang eight days a week is not enough to show I care. This is never more true. Paula co-founded Nine Day Week to support those who were working and caring both for their children, elderly parents and even their pets. The demands are great, but peer support from friends and family makes it possible, as does the longing to sit and talk again with those who are shielded with a good cup of tea. Over to you, Richard and Paula. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Paula, for giving us your time today. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We're at a sort of interesting time in the summer in that at the time of recording this podcast, we're in the middle of Carers Week. And also next week, we're looking towards Loneliness Awareness Week. I guess, Paula, those are sort of areas that you've been thinking a lot about and that have helped you establish Nine Day Week. Could you tell us a little bit about how you came to set up this really interesting and important organisation? Nine Day Week, we consider it to be a community hub um, for people who are juggling, looking after elderly parents and also trying to run a household, look after children, carry a job, all of those things. And myself and my business partner were both in that situation. And we would meet regularly for coffees because we were both self-employed people who needed to chat to other people because we didn't get the the daily interaction, if you like, of going into an office as such. And we we were both in the same situation. I, I have my older parents, they're 86 and 91. He has his mother, his father's passed away, but he's, he's looking after his mum and also his young family. Um, and we, we just came to the conclusion that t- trying to find information as to how we go about helping our older parents was really tricky. We were having to scour around various resources just to try and pull together general day-to-day ways that in which we could help them. So we came up with this idea of starting up nine-day week. Um, the idea being that you need an extra two days in your week to get a weekend with um, all the things that we have to do so that's how it all came about so yes you've, you've certainly taken the the famous Beatles song of eight days a week just that bit further which yes <laughs> absolutely fits with the challenge that so many people are facing tomorrow particularly as so many of us are, are working from home of yeah. having older parents younger children and sometimes even the odd pet to contend with yes <laughs> You came to this realisation that what people often needed was something practical, clear, support, information, advice. When did you actually get the hub up and running? Well, we started in January of this year because we we were having a chat about it before Christmas and we'd sort of toyed around with the idea and then decided that we would give ourselves Christmas to have a think about it. I came back in January and said, yes, let's, let's go. 
and there's an awful lot of content on the website. So we wanted to make sure that we had something credible to go with before we actually launched. Um, so we, we put everything together and launched just last month in May. And these are strange times to be um, launching a new business, but actually we think it's quite fitting with what people are having to go through at the moment. And the fact that more and more people are becoming carers as well, it's becoming more and more relevant to more and more people. So a lot of thinking and planning over that period. Yeah. What sort of areas did you then prioritise then in terms of what information and support you wanted to provide people accessing the hub? I guess you know this from the inside, but where did you start? What did you think that's what people will need to know first? Yeah, well, exactly as you say, we, we were thinking about, you know, the kind of things that we had to look for information for ourselves. So things like, you know, medical conditions, you know, osteoporosis or what have you, and, and sort of, you know, what is that? Because it, it can be very scary, not only to the parent who's going through this, but also to the family and as to how best we can help them. So yes, all the medical conditions, you know, eye care, all of those kind of things. And also we're having to offer financial assistance in terms of finding out anything that they may be entitled to, any benefits that they can get help with, just things like power of attorney, all of these things that, you know, people in our position are having to find out about. And as I said before, having to go to various different places to get it. So we wanted to bring it all together. But I would say in terms of priority, it would be the health side and the legal or financial side. Those are the two areas where people need that sort of trusted information to help guide them through what is sometimes a labyrinth of either services and policies through to even health information. And of course, we're at a time where there can be so much health information online and misinformation that it can be hard to know what to trust. So those were the two areas that really became the important focus. Yes. I guess I'm also thinking that one of the challenges that people who are carers often face are the financial strains. Um, some won't even be able to work. Others may be able to work, but of course not to the extent they would without those caring responsibilities. Have you had any sort of feedback on that, that those are some of the areas where the strain is most acutely felt? Well, having not been established for too long, we haven't had feedback in terms of that through the website, but just our age group is <laughs> the one that is being affected by this and just talking to other friends and people around us that are in the same situation as us you know this is the problem because we are all trying to hold down jobs ourselves we've all got other commitments and trying to sort of get that financial assistance can be really tricky that there are so many different things that people can look at and to know where to go to is the key, you know, because you can spend so much time trying to research on the internet and find places to go to, to get that financial assistance. And that in itself takes up far too much time, you know, so just trying to sort of bring that together, really. Yes, I guess, particularly the support for people later in life, again, and some of the legal aspects, you're talking of power of attorney, there are things that can make a huge and helpful difference. Yes. But navigating that without someone who's kind of trodden the path before you can be an enormous strain. So that, that sounds like a fantastic development. Yeah. I have to ask, though, that having had these ideas in January and having sort of launched the hub just over a month ago, something rather sort of extraordinary has happened for us all in between. Yes. 
how was it then trying to sort of bring all these sort of areas of advice and information together and develop uh, the hub it would be good for people to access given that COVID was also happening? Yes, well, I think both myself and my business partner, John, we know quite a lot of people in the business community, which has been hugely helpful because we both network and we pulled on those resources and asked people to take a look over our pages because we researched it ourselves and then put the pages together and then asked them to have a look over it. So although we've not been able to sort of get out and about and have meetings with people to get, you know, information that we've got up there verified and to just make sure we've, we've dotted the I's and crossed the T's, we've been fortunate enough to be able to pull on resources of our own to, to help us with that. And I guess that's where the technology sort of comes to our aid too, that despite being in lockdown, you could reach out to friends and colleagues as well, as, of course, share this information to others through the hub and through social channels. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that that's been hugely beneficial and added to the fact also that John and I have our own sort of experience in website design in in copywriting and all of that. That's certainly helped. (laughs) You know, we we sort of knew that we could draw on our skill sets to be able to actually put this together without having to rely on, you know, too much outside help, really. That's been really advantageous. In addition to information that might help someone steer through these complex procedures and policies around finance or or even sometimes accessing health services, are there other aspects of the hub that you feel are going to be really valuable to anyone accessing it? Yes, I mean, we're, we're sort of constantly putting blogs up there about things like self-care. You know, that, that that's a huge issue as far as we're concerned. You know, I think it was the, the first blog that we did, you know, to sort of say it's important to look after yourself whilst you're also looking after other people. We've got information on there, things like, you know, looking after pets, searching for care homes, what sort of criteria should you look at for looking for care homes. Yeah, there's a whole wealth of information on there. What we realise with it is that it's it's endless. Everybody's facing these things on a daily basis and coming up with new thoughts. And this is where the content came from. We listed all the things that we wanted to put on there and we suddenly realised what task we had ahead of us (laughs) because there's just so much. And what we want to be able to do is to encourage other people to contribute to the site. This is why we say it's a community hub, you know, for people to give us their thoughts and their ideas and how they want to share their experiences for other people to benefit from. Yes, it's a very sort of interesting point that I think when people are looking for support and looking whether for health information or something like, as you say, choosing a care home, it's often really valuable to be able to hear about someone's own experience in going through that. And and that relatable content is something that we can take in and make use of sometimes more straightforwardly, oddly, than factual information. So it sounds like that's a really important development for your hub. Yeah. I guess also, going back to the sort of issue of loneliness, which is, you know, sometimes quite an odd thing to consider because when someone's sort of caring for older parents and younger children, it seems odd to think that they might also feel quite alone with that and and, and the burden of those demands. Are you sort of engaging using social media or, or other social channels to engage and reach people who might be struggling similarly? Yes, I mean, it goes back really to what I mentioned before that, you know, we want people to tell us their stories. That for us is the most important thing. And, you know, by reaching out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, we're sort of saying to people, tell us your story. How have you coped? 
what tips would you give for other people? You know, social media is just such a, an ideal way to go about that. And given the fact that I guess people are starting to engage with you, maybe maybe early days, but still starting to engage, have there been any stories that have really stood out for you? Yes, there, there was a story actually. It was on one of the real stories on the Alzheimer's Society website. I just found it really touching and very relevant to our community in that it was about a former headmaster gentleman who lives with his wife, but he has Alzheimer's. And it was about how the lockdown has been affecting him and her and the fact that his normal activities that he relies upon for stimulation and for exercise have had to change because of having to be locked down and the kind of things that he was adapting you know he was doing exercises indoors he was looking after the garden you know focusing on that and trying to help and it, it just really resonated with me because my parents for example you know they can't leave the house at the moment and um, they, they do take a walk around the block just to to get out because you know they're in a, a, a two-bedroom apartment and they need to do that added to the fact that my mum has osteoporosis and you know despite what people might think actually one of the best things to do is to get out and walk and have that exercise and they've not been able to do that enough and it affects their confidence in going out and it's things like this and I was thinking about that in terms of this gentleman and you know he was saying he doesn't know what the future holds he wonders about how things will be not just for himself and and for his wife but also for his wider family and the community and it's sort of you know seeing the world from inside that house if you see what I mean and it's the same with my parents they don't know how things are going to be when all of this is done and I just felt that it, it really resonated and, a, and I just found it a really interesting story. Yes, it sounds like a really important sort of description of the fact that there are many things that we have done prior to lockdown that will be good for our physical and mental health. And even for somebody, as you say, who may be struggling with the early stages of Alzheimer's that suddenly get removed and then even the ability to support them because of shielding and, and social distancing are then more of a challenge. So a sort of uncertainty and anxiety that comes with COVID, you know, often finds itself expressed in all sorts of ways. But for carers, that's also a particular challenge. It is. And I think, you know, for myself, that the thing I'm looking forward to most is just being able to go around to my parents' house and sit down and have a cup of tea with them. And it's the simple pleasures in life. That is, for me, is going to be the ultimate you know, and I would just assume for this gentleman as well, just to be able to go out and carry on with his daily activities. It's almost sort of thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's not much to ask, is it? <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure that we've all got these things that we're all looking forward to doing. But I think particularly for people who are shielded, it's a difficult time, regardless of the age. Confidence is a, is a major factor, I believe. And for the elderly, to be able to get back to doing, you know, activities. My mum's my neighbour is in her late 80s and my mum is, is convinced that she has seen a change in her because, you know, she's not as active as she used to be. She's more sort of apprehensive when, when she's walking and when you see her walking out of her flat and it's very difficult because you, you just don't know where this is going to lead. We don't know when it's going to end and when they can sort of get back to some sense of normality. That's a really important point again, that confidence is something that is kind of built every day. It isn't something that you just achieve at a point in your life and that if you take away those opportunities to be active, 
bit by bit, probably in the same way that physically your muscles can start to sort of shrink a little, that, that you do lose some of that confidence. So going forwards, and, and I guess going back to some of those principles of self-care, kind of looking to see what we can do that might support our physical and mental health, no matter how small, rather like the account you've read of the headmaster with Alzheimer's, that he was still trying to be active. But I guess for us all, we're going to need to take very seriously building up those activities that build confidence, reduce anxiety, and hopefully lead to some pretty nice cups of tea. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I can't wait for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking that it's also sort of connecting us all with values, that not everything grand and great and immediate in the way perhaps life before COVID are quite so important now. And, and that idea of just quite a, a simple activity of having a cup of tea with your parents sounds like a hugely important goal for you to reach. And for them as well, you know, because as a family, we, we do visit regularly, not just myself, but my siblings as well. And also, the, you know, the grandchildren and, and all of that. And I think that's hugely important for mum and dad. I just don't think you can put a value on that. So lots of activity and thinking about the caring role, looking after people in later life, after parents. But I guess the sandwich generation, as they're often described, are also having to think about young people. And I'm wondering whether that's something you're, you're also planning to respond to. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I have a daughter who's at university, um, well, not at the moment, obviously, and also a son who is 17 and, and has Becker muscular dystrophy. So it's juggling that as well, really. I would very quickly say that we're very fortunate in that he is at the lower spectrum of muscular dystrophy in that, you know, he's not wheelchair bound or, or anything like that. To look at him, you wouldn't notice that there was anything different at all. But there are challenges related with that, you know, in sort of trying to keep his mental health in the right place and trying to sort of not focus on the negatives and all of that. So I have that to deal with, well, not deal with, I'm obviously I'm there for him and also trying to sort of, you know, look after my mum and dad as well. And it, it does get tricky. And, and even just also for me to be able to talk to my mum about my son, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all interconnected, but it is all quite, I wouldn't say so much even time consuming, but it is consuming in terms of, my own mental health and I'm very sort of careful to make sure that I do talk about that to other people as well. I'm very fortunate to have some fantastic friends and you know they understand the situation and you know we can chat about that and it really does help. Well, it sounds like you're trying to keep a lot of hope alive for quite a few people in your family. Yeah. And that is not without its own sort of demands upon you. No but at the same time I, I would always say that I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't want anybody else to, you know, be looking after my mum and dad other than my siblings. I wouldn't ever shy away from in-depth conversations with my son about his condition. And I think it's just part of your role as, as a parent and as a, as a child. You know, that's what you do. But I think it's just important to make sure that you share as much of the situation as you can. You know, I, I, I share my thoughts and feelings about my son with his dad. And I also, you know, make sure that in terms of my parents, I talk to my friends who are in similar situations, but also to my siblings. You know, because if, if you don't, if you try and keep it all to yourself, then <laughs> it can t send you down a rather dark track, I think. I think you're also highlighting for me something that I took from the early days of the pandemic when we were talking to a psychologist with Janet Wingrove, who is a great mindfulness trainer, but she also 
placed a great deal of emphasis on staying in touch with your values, that feeling of what you get up in the morning for is remarkably sustaining. So I think this sort of phrase of you wouldn't want it any other way, I, I guess itself help sustain you sometimes through demanding, challenging times. Absolutely, yeah. But I think also I have learned <laughs> to, to to allow other people to play their part. My siblings, you know, we, we're sort of running a bit of a relay team at the moment, whereas previously I did the lion's share of, you know, the shopping and sorting things out for them and from parents and, and all of that kind of thing. But what this pandemic has actually taught me is that I can actually share that you know, my siblings do more of this sort of day-to-day stuff. They've always been there whenever they're needed. And um, we, we all kind of have our little roles as such. But this recently has allowed us all to take more of an equal share in what we're doing. And I think in, in many ways that's been a good thing. And, you know, we'll continue after lockdown, basically. So I, I think that's quite helpful, really. Oh, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. So the changes of, of lockdown that kind of freed some of us up in different ways yes. might have allowed you as a family to come together in a different way to support your parents and each other. So uh, that's a sort of value of almost team sport principles in caring. Sounds like a really good thing to, to strive for. Definitely, definitely. And we all know our strengths and we all know what we're good at. (laughs) It just seems to have happened quite naturally how things are at the moment. So that's that's really good. But going back to what you said earlier about self-care, I guess there might be other things that you try to do for yourself or sometimes not do for yourself. We know some habits like smoking and drinking, you know, can be sort of helpful in the short term, but lead to problems later. Are there any particular tips that you found, you know, really sort of give you just that little bit more boost or a little bit more energy at times? Yeah, I think one of the things really is is time management. And I I don't know if this comes from running a business (laughs) or, or what have you, but I think time management is really important, you know, to sort of allow yourself to stop work, to stop whatever it is you're doing and just sort of plan out things a lot more. I know that early days of the pandemic I was sort of all over the place with it and then just one day I just thought no now I need to stop and think okay I can put so much time into this into that into the other and that's been really helpful but I would just say that more than anything I know I've already touched on this but is talking to friends and family and just sort of making sure that you're pulling on all the resources that you can and asking for help I think a lot of people do struggle with asking for help But I think that is hugely important, even just talking about something. And my mum said this herself to me the other day that, you know, she and I were sitting outside her apartment when the the weather was nice and we could do that socially distancing. And she said to me herself that the fact that she can talk to me and sit down properly for a good hour or two hours and, you know, have a full on conversation helps her to realise that, big problems that maybe aren't quite as big as they may have seemed because she's been able to share them with me in that conversation. So just having conversations with as many people as you can and, you know, getting advice from people, being willing to take advice and share experiences, that's a huge part of self-care. Well, I think you make the point very vividly that if you can stay in touch with yourself and how you're feeling, then that can enable you then to recognise what you need and how you can reach out to others for that support. And then also, I guess when you're talking with your mother, what we do for each other always is, is kind of offer different perspectives because when we're locked in our own minds, and again, we you know with so much to do, it's so easy to see how that could happen, I guess. 
one can lose a bit of perspective on, on all sorts of things that leave you more worried or drained than you need to be. So it sounds, it sounds like that connecting and reaching out has, has been really helpful. And perhaps something you know, that's really pertinent to Loneliness Awareness Week when I was just remembering somebody at Papyrus said last week that Papyrus is a young person's charity that supports young people around suicide. So it's, it's you know, one of those worrying situations. But she described loneliness like hunger. And it kind of made sense, really, that you know it is a feeling, like you're saying, that we can acknowledge, then that helps us reach out and perhaps overcome some of the barriers that might otherwise have got in the way. So, yeah, lots of, of really helpful ideas there. So you're very much at the start of, of something in a time where the world is evolving in ways none of us could have predicted in January. I guess... What would be the sort of next step that you'd be most wanting to achieve for Nine Day Week or yourself? Are, are there certain things that are on the to-do list that you'd really like to progress as soon as you can? Yes. I mean, the thing that we want more than anything really is for this community feel to be there. We, we're setting up the forum so that people can share their views, share their experiences on there and you know, look for guidance as well. So we want it to be more interactive. At the moment, there's a lot of content on there and, you know, we are connecting with people through social media channels and presenting as much information and help as we can. But it's all about the community. That's where we want it to be. And we want people to be able to contribute. We'll be inviting guest writers, bloggers, anybody that feels that they would like to contribute to the site would be fantastic because personal experiences speak volumes and that is what we really want to share because that is just so helpful to people when they're looking for inspiration and help and guidance. And one of the things that also reduces loneliness we know is when people can connect with people like me and that was one of the very powerful messages we, we got from Londoners at the time of starting out with good thinking. That it just changes so much if you can connect with someone who knows how you're feeling. You're not alone. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it feels like uh, we're taking you away from, from so much that's important. But I, I think as we're reaching almost the end of our time today, I, I'm going to ask you to think about something that in the context you're in seems unthinkable, really. But it might be a moment to sort of do something a bit kinder for yourself. Usually when we get to the end, we, we like to offer the person who's joined us on the podcast to think about if they could have chosen three famous or prominent people to go into isolation or lockdown with at that point where we were all suddenly having to make decisions. Who would you have taken? So if we can park for a moment all those other caring responsibilities and you could have a bit of me time in lockdown. Are there <laughs> three people you might have taken? Yes, well, the first person I would definitely take is Bruce Springsteen. I have been a fan of Bruce Springsteen for many, many years. He is my go-to <laughs> when I'm not feeling great, but also when I'm feeling really good. So he basically ticks all the boxes, and he's just got so much to say. And he's a very, very intelligent guy. And I just love his music. So he would definitely be somebody I would I would take. So he'd help you connect with the good times and some of the harder times, as well as a substantial catalogue to get you through the lockdown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who else would be joining you? Julie Walters, because... I just find her absolutely hilarious. But I just think 
She's got so much life experience. She can turn her hand to anything. And I would love to see what Bruce Springsteen would make of her. <laughs> so I, I just think she is is hugely ins- inspirational. Yeah, just from her early days at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool through to films like Calendar Girls, where she played an absolutely brilliant part. And, and obviously Two Soups sketch with Victoria Wood. I just think she's amazing. I think she'd be great company. Right, okay. And uh, it does sound as well that you'd have stories to tell later <laughs> of Bruce meets Julie. Yes. <laughs> so given this interesting matrix of personalities so far, who would be the third ingredient? That would be Carlos Acosta, the ballet dancer, because I just think he is absolutely incredible. And I would just love to be able to just sit there and watch him dance all day. <laughs> right. So we better give you a, a decent space to be in lockdown with. Perhaps one of the theatres that's not getting a lot of use at the moment. Yes, please. <laughs> so you've got Bruce Springsteen, the ballet with Mrs. Overall, if I'm understanding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there'd be surprises along the way with that combination. Absolutely. Yes. It's giving you a little bit of insight into how my mind works. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It always does. But sometimes, it, yeah, those ingredients are so sort of interesting that you find yourself trying to work out what it would be like if we came together. So <laughs> we'll have to give you a video camera as well, I think, or a webcam perhaps so we can live stream. Absolutely. <laughs> just in case things get a bit tricky with those three people people or you just want a bit of time out for yourself is there any sort of media and I say media because it could be a book some music a film even a recording of an event sporting event theatre production is there something that if you took that with you, you you could just sort of reconnect and feel something different for a moment Yes, I am a Liverpool fan and I would have to go with when Liverpool won in Istanbul in 2005, the Champions League. Obviously, it was brilliant that we won the Cup, but the fact that we came behind from 3-0 at half-time and the resilience of that team and the passion and everything that was behind it and the fact that it all looked so lost and then we won, the exhilaration was just unbelievable. So I would, I would have to have that with me. Right, so there's a powerful moment in, in your life where you come from behind and overcome all sorts of challenges and, and take away the prize. So that, that sounds like a, a very heartening and encouraging piece of content to have with you. Yeah. A luxury, what would you take to, again, sort of ease some of the darker moments that you could have in lockdown? That would have to be an iPod of some description. I can't be without my music. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely an iPod. Right, well, you better fill it with Bruce's catalogue first in case he checks. It's already full of Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) I think sometimes we we get this situation where people haven't quite thought through the sort of jealousies that might arise uh, (laughs) if he finds you listening to Duran Duran or something. Yes, there's plenty of Duran Duran as well. (laughs) Well, uh, perhaps he's used to it by now. Well, thank you very much, Paula. I recognise, as with any carer, that for you to take time out to share your experience is an enormous sort of and generous gift to any listener to this podcast and especially anyone who's also struggling with those similar challenges. And we would hope it not only supports them as carers, but perhaps for a moment at least makes them feel a bit less alone with some of the challenges. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Our music is kindly provided by Key Changes, 
a charity offering award-winning music engagement and recovery services for people experiencing mental health issues. Thank you to all at Key Changes.